If you guys want to grab your Bibles, I'm not, I don't have any slides this morning. I believe in you guys. You can look at the Bible for yourself. Um, so if you want to go to John chapter 11, we, we saw a lot of it in the video, but I thought I'd, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I thought I'd read a decent chunk of it again, because I think it's important to read the Word of God, amen? Um, the living, breathing Word of God. So we're going to be looking at, uh, as we saw in the video, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Um, and and it, we're continuing in our series, uh, Surprised by Jesus, and this is a this is a series we often do in our in the holiday times, like school holidays, um, and looking at the different things that Jesus did to, that were kind of countercultural or um, that surprised us in, in in different ways. And there's heaps in this today. So, chapter eleven of John. So, let's read verse one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, was, was whose brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. He loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And then we see, what we see, just an interval here, what we see is that Jesus has this, he has this real strong connection. We've seen it. He loves these people. He dearly loves them. And, um, and then what we see is that his disciples are a little bit kind of like skeptical of going back to, to Judea because last time they were threatened to get stoned. And honestly, I don't think anyone wants to get rocks pelted at them. So you can understand their skepticism. But Jesus, he, he's just like, no, we're going back. We're going back. I love these people. I want to go see them. So verse 17, if you want to jump down, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says this awesome line. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Sounds a bit contradictory, but it's, it's really, really cool. Do you believe this? believe this is his question. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And then after hearing this, 
Um, we see that, that Martha goes back to her sister Mary and tells her that Jesus is near. And then Mary, hearing this, she just quickly bolts out. That's what I imagine she does. It says she quickly goes out to see Jesus. And, and the Jews that were comforting them at the time in her mourning of her brother passing away um, came and followed as well. And if you jump down to verse 32, it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He showed such emotion. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And the shortest little um, verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away this stone. But, the Lord, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is going to be a real bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up, as we saw in the video, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, know, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, kind of like a mummy. <laughs> That's not in the text, by the way. Jesus said to them, Take off your grave clothes and let him go. And the last verse, 45, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. What a powerful story. Could you imagine being a part of that? Could you imagine being there, just seeing this guy who's been dead for four days just rise from the dead and come out of this tomb? That would have been phenomenal. It would have been so powerful. It would have been really cool to see. And this, un, this story, because of how cool it is, how, how amazing of a story it is, there's, there, it's a very popular passage to, uh, to preach on. You probably, if you've got a church background, you've probably heard uh, a, a sermon or two on this. Um, and there's many things in line with our surprise by Jesus that we can be surprised by here. For instance, I want to pick up on a few things. It's not going to be my main point, but a few things. For instance, we... We see that Jesus, and this is what I'm going to pick on, is that he really loves these people. You can tell. The text like, keeps bringing it up. He's like, he's weeped. He's loved them. He loves them dearly. He feels their pain. And he's, he's, he even cries. He weeps. Even though he knew that Lazarus was going to get resurrected. We saw that at the start. Like He's just like, no, he will not die. It'll be okay. He knew what was going to happen, but yet he still felt that emotion. What's also surprising that is that he waited two days. If he really loved this guy, then why did, he, why did he wait two days before he started the journey? And then it almost got four days by the time he got there. 
It's a really surprising thing. Why was he so chill about it if he really cared so much about them? And I'm not going to wrestle with that too much today. I think we've heard a lot on that. But what I want to pick up on is a different aspect of the passage, a different aspect, which is the impact and the significance of how Jesus and Mary and Martha loved each other. The significance of how they loved each other and what kind of effect that had on the people around them. I want to touch on that. And my sermon, guys, it's not complicated. It's not a complicated sermon. Um, My main point is this. If you really love something, then it impacts those around you. If you really love something, it really impacts, impacts people around you. And therefore, if we love Jesus then it should impact people around us. And you see, right at the end of the passage, we read that many of the Jews had come to visit Mary, and then they had, and they had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. They believed in him. Now, those, these people probably believed very likely because of Jesus performing the miracle. I know I probably would. But what would have definitely played into this scenario, I think, is seeing how much they cared and loved for each other. And I'll illustrate this in a sec. Seeing, but seeing how people, you think about real life, seeing how people care and love for each other impacts us, right? When someone's mourning and somebody comes alongside them, that impacts us. It shows someone. When someone does a, a random act of kindness or someone gives you a hug when you've had a hard day, when someone loves you, it impacts you. And the people around you, it impacts them. So he performed the miracle, but what played into it was the love that Jesus and that group of people showed. It was genuine. It wasn't fake. He wasn't putting it on. And I'll, and I'll, I'll try and explain this. Could you imagine, like imagine coming to a wedding, yeah? Most of us have probably been to a wedding. We've been a part of one. And could you imagine if, say, the bride's just coming down the aisle and she's just like... Oh, man, I better get this out of the way. Just like, just sighing, just like, oh, what's going on? Man, I well, might as well just do this. And then you see the, see the groom on the stage who normally is like shedding a couple little happy tears. He's just sighing too. He's just like, come on, let's get it over and done with. This is boring. Like, come on, it's just, it's just serving a purpose. Could you imagine that? That would be horrible. <laughs> that would be a horrible wedding, right? It's, it'd be so almost, it'd almost be depressing. But at the end of the day, you'd, they, you'd still get married, yeah? What happened would still happen. They'd still be getting married, and the ceremony would serve some sort of purpose, yeah? But it wouldn't have been anywhere near as impactful because of their attitude or because of it not really even being seeming that real. Not really a great advertisement of, of getting married when the people look miserable. <laughs> it's not really like, oh, cool, I'm going to get married. Sweet. Or like, I love being in a relationship. No. <laughs> it's, it, it just will not work. There's no enthusiasm there. And it doesn't show that they really loved each other. But it still served a purpose. On the same token, could you imagine Jesus just kind of begrudgingly coming to visit Mary and Martha? Because that's just kind of what you do as the Son of God or a Christian for us. 
And imagine if he didn't show any emotion whatsoever. He was kind of this begrudging, kind of like at the wedding. He's just kind of completely neutral. He's like, come on, these guys are so, they're just whinging all the time. I was just there not that long ago, and I almost got stoned, and you want me to come back? Like, could you imagine if he was just so begrudging and, and almost annoyed by this? It wouldn't have had that great of impact. It wouldn't have really been a good show, and this is part of my point, this wouldn't have been a very good show of who God is and what his character is like if that was his attitude. It wouldn't have been. It would have seemed kind of forced and and fake and not real. It would have been kind of taken away from this incredible moment where uh, Lazarus is resurrected. And there probably still would have been people that were impacted by the miracle, like I say, and believed, and it serves some sort of purpose, just like our wedding does still. But it probably wouldn't have had such a big impact, I don't think. On the same token, I don't think it would have shown the character of God and who he is if Jesus hadn't have shown this raw love, this sorrow and compassion. He was being genuine. And the difference here is that he wasn't being fake. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't going, oh, this is just exactly what I have to do. I just got to do this. And then goes there and then just puts on a face or puts on a mask, per se. He actually felt this strong love toward these people. He loved them dearly. He loved them. And that showed and it affected the people. It was part of what impacted them. If you love something, then it will show. And that will actually impact the people around you. Therefore, how we love God and love others actually impacts those around us. And here's the thing. Both the miracle and how Jesus showed love go hand in hand together. They go hand in hand together. The miracle that he did and how he showed love and care go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other in this story. You need the miracle and you need the loving God, the loving community that just cares and loves for each other. And I think it's the same for us. I think it's the same for us. And how we do life as individuals, but how we do life particularly as a church Let me illustrate. We have the biggest miracle the world has ever seen. We have it right here, right now. Did you know that? We have Jesus. We're about to celebrate this soon and remember this, that Jesus died on the cross for us so our sins could be taken away, that we could be made new, that we could be restored with our Creator and be in that relationship with Him like we were meant to from the very start. That hole in your heart that we're trying to fill stuff with, that everybody's trying to fill it with, can actually be filled by the God-shaped hole, per se. And we have that miracle there. And Why it's a miracle is because we couldn't have done anything to make it happen. We couldn't have. And that's the beautiful thing about it is that it was a free gift. It was a sacrifice for us. And that is the greatest miracle that we could go from not knowing our Creator to knowing Him. Amen? It's a huge miracle. That's our biggest and most valuable miracle that we have ever seen. 
And this should change everything for us. It should change everything for us. This actually should affect every part of our being. And if we have this miracle, then we should be like the man who um, Jesus talks about him. He uses it as a kind of illustration parable type thing. Um, where we should be like the man who finds this treasure in, the, in a field, and he, he's just like, whoa! And he's just like, I'm going to go sell everything I have so I can buy this field so I can get my treasure. We should be like that. We should, as Jesus shows us, what this is saying in effect is that we need to give up our life in order to find it. We need to deny ourselves and take up our cross in order to find life. We need to surrender our lives, not keep a hold of them. And ironically, in an odd turn of events, we actually find life. We give up our life to find life. It's a funny, funny concept. And that's exciting. Having the greatest miracle known to man right here, right now. And I don't think, and I'm a part of this, but I don't think we quite realize that sometimes. We don't feel the weight of it. And, but my point is that it's exciting. There's actually nothing neutral about knowing Jesus. There's nothing neutral whatsoever about it. There's nothing boring. There's nothing begrudging. There's real emotion and it affects how we live when we're loving Jesus and when we meet Jesus. We found the treasure our hearts are longing for, and that should change everything. But why am I saying this? Why am I saying this? I'll try and bring it a bit together. Part of what I'm getting at is that when we're seeking to be examples of Christ in our spheres of influence as an individual, and when we're uh, when we're here as a church or gathering in various different forms, and when we're when we're trying to talk to those around us about Jesus or invite them to something like Alpha, then we need to tell them and show them the miracle which is Jesus. But also, we need to show that it actually impacts us. Does that make sense? We can't be that neutral kind of like, hey, this is what I believe, but it actually doesn't do anything for me, or I'm not excited about it. Does that make sense? We need to give them the miracle. We need to point them to the miracle, sorry. Only God gives the miracle. But we need to share them, Jesus, but also show how it's worked in our own life. We cannot give people the miracle but show them that we're not affected by it. Does that make sense? If you have a treasure and it's treasure, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing and you've given up everything to get it. And you, it's something you value so much and you're excited about it. So it should affect how we share it. People are, I'm learning this more and more every day almost. But people are looking for authenticity like almost no other time in history. I haven't been to every other, every other time in history, but it seems to be that there's a really, real focus on authenticity in our culture now. They're looking for something real. They're looking for something real, and they can tell when it's fake or when it's put on or when you don't really believe what you're saying. That's what I'm finding. And more than ever, it's so important to be genuinely following Jesus. It's always important, but I think people can see it more than ever when you're not. Not just doing Christian things, but following Jesus. 
I did a podcast a couple of Sundays ago. Um, so we do that once a month on a Sunday night at our, at our service there, which is um, where I probably preach at the most. Um, and I, I interviewed this guy named Sam Chan. Some of you might know of him at the very least. Um, He's like uh, the most Aussie Asian guy you'll ever meet and he's super, super funny. Um, And he writes a lot of of books on evangelism and how to do that in our kind of uh, skeptical age or our our post-Christian age. And what he says is that um, particularly recently, a lot of Australian culture, a lot of people in Australia we're, we're in a, in a post-Christian, and I'll explain this in a sec, post-Christian and a post-truth world. We're in a post-Christian and a post-truth state. And what that means is that where Christianity for a very, very long time used to be the dominant belief system and the basis for kind of how we do a lot of society, for a long time, we are for the first time in history in a place where we're that isn't actually so. There's remnants of it. I'm not saying it's all gone. But at the moment, it is not the dominant belief. We're post-Christian. We're almost past-Christian. A large percentage of Australian, Australia, particularly young people I'm finding, have very little to no knowledge about Christianity, about Jesus. They don't even know who he is to some degree. They might have some little small association with him because of like an article they might have read or some bad news in the, in the, in the, um, in the news, sorry, or an article. There's almost no knowledge and common ground when it comes to talking about God as part of what he's getting at, is that where you could actually call upon so many different things and kind of presume that people knew stuff about this, it's not really there. For a lot of people, it's not there, which is actually a big thing because you have to you have to do a lot of work. You have to you can't like still works to to kind of share the gospel um, straight out of nowhere. But a lot of people I'm finding now really just want to be heard. They want friendship. They want fellowship. They want someone to journey with them before you can share these things. They want to see it in your life. They want to see it authentically, not just in theory. They don't want to just know about the miracle. They want to see that it affects us. And that's part of my point. But it gets worse. He was saying that this guy, Sam Chan, I really encourage you guys to, to have a listen to it. It was really fun and it was really insightful, really. Um, he was saying that many people not only know very little about Christianity, but what they do know and believe is that it's kind of outdated. It's outdated and it's a, it's a, it's a bit kind of... Uh, on par with believing, not for everyone, but on par with believing in some other kind of mythical creature like the Tooth Fairy or Santa or something like that. Sorry if there's any young kids. It's something to kind of be laughed, to laugh at for some people. Some, we're almost the people to be pitied because like, oh man, we've moved on. We're in, the, we're in the postmodern age. We've got secularism. We can do this. And there's a lot of good things about that. But They kind of look at us, not even on a neutral level, but some people look at us on like, why haven't you moved on yet? So why I'm sharing this is that when we're talking to people around us, we need to not just have the miracle. That's so powerful. I'm not not trying to take away from it. But people are after us to show it to them in our lives. 
There are, if we really truly love Jesus, the biggest miracle, then it should show. It should show. And how we love each other, how we conduct our life. It shouldn't show a perfect life. There's a difference there. I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but people will know if you value something or not. And that's my point. They will know. People will continue to be skeptical if they see that it's not real for us. Does that make sense? Have I got you still? Hopefully. We need the miracle as well as the life that shows the impact of the miracle. doesn't have to be perfect, as I say. I'm not saying we have to do everything right, but our heart is there. And this brings me, I'm going to breeze through this next, um, uh, next point, but... If this is true, if we need the miracle and we need um, the evidence in our life for it in, in a sense, then it's important that we have two things. And it's pretty obvious. They're pretty obvious. We need two things. And one of them is that we need Jesus as the treasure of our heart. You know, I talked about the, the guy in the field who sold everything just to, to get this treasure. We need to actually make sure that the, tr- the main treasure, the core treasure of our heart, and we're going to be talking about this in the night service soon, is actually Jesus. The main thing that kind of guides our life, the main thing we find our source of life on, is actually Jesus. Because if it's something else, people will see it. And that's my point. Not saying it's an overnight journey to, to kind of switch those treasures, but for instance, if you uh, if you uh, treasure success, power, money, approval, a relationship, control over others and circumstances, a career. A lot of these are actually really good things, by the way, but not ultimate things. If that's what sits at the treasure of our hearts, then people will see it. Does that make sense? If you're after the approval of others, then everyone will see it. You will do everything you can to get that approval. You will work hard every single day. Your thought life will be consumed around it, and so on and so forth. It'll flow. People will see the true treasure of your heart. And you can insert all those other things, success, power, approval, relationships, whatever you want. You can put that there. Or rule following even. I've wrote down here that maybe some, I find sometimes that some, uh, we have a tendency as Christians to often uh, revert to putting our kind of treasure in Jesus to almost putting into rule following. Not that there's anything wrong with following rules. It's part of my personality type. I like to. But um, we can put our treasure in rule following or the commands that God gives rather than actually in Jesus himself. And that'll show where we're actually more consumed or concerned with people um, doing the right thing rather than just knowing Jesus. Does that make sense? Not that there's anything wrong with wanting them to do the right thing, but the big thing, if the treasure of our heart is Jesus, not rule following, is that we will want them to know Jesus first and foremost. We can deal with the behavior later. It's fine. Once they see Jesus, they'll want to change. So my question is, what is the treasure of our heart? What is it? 
I don't know if it's just a, it's a, it might come really, really obviously to you right now. It might take a bit of time to really pray and think on this this morning or throughout the week or for a month. Who knows? It takes a lot to sift through your heart and you need help. You need friends. You need good people around you. You need God first and foremost to do it. But what sits there if, and this is basically my question, is that if you told someone about the miracle of Jesus, then would people see its impact in your life? Would people see the impact of, um, of Jesus in your life if you told them about the miracle? Again, would they, I'm not saying would they see perfection. I'm saying would they see that the treasure of your heart is him, that you've laid down your life, you've sold everything just to get that treasure? Would they see it? And my second kind of question is around, would they see it in how we do community? Would they see it in how we love each other, just like Jesus, Mary, and Martha, and the Jews, that all loved each other? Would they see the miracle and see that we love each other as well? Because Jesus, he, he says a little bit later on, or John writes a little bit later on in In uh, chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, I'll read it. You don't have to go there necessarily. It's a common passage, but he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And the presumption there is that we love We've, we've experienced the love of Christ, is that he is our treasure in the first place. And because he is, that overflows into how we love each other. And which is why I say we need to work out the treasure of our heart first, because that will flow into how we love each other. It will flow into how we're an effect on the people around us, because we want people around us, just like we see in this Lazarus story, to not just be impacted by the miracle, but to be impacted by how we truly love Jesus and how we love each other.